Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. No, 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 no. It's with me, Matt O'Han. The Sickest Montreal Canadiens Podcast. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadiens win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Good Friday evening, everybody. Tony Marinero is off. I am in. My name is Matt O'Han. Thank you for being with us on the Sick Podcast. Sick Podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group. They are a full leading uh, logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Also brought to you by La Bite à TB. Brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bite à TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bite à TB. Embrace your true nature. And of course, by Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, then it's time you go back to Lacage because the menu will surprise you. It is a uh, pretty busy weekend in Montreal when it comes to sports. It was a pretty busy week when it came to the Canadians. But I just want to start things off with a little quick story because Tony is off tonight uh, because he's usually off on Friday nights, but he uh, spent the night at the Bell Center for an event that just wrapped up. It was Friday night SmackDown, uh, WWE, of course, as a big weekend in the WWE. We have Elimination Chamber tomorrow night also at the Bell Center. Uh, Sami Zayn, Montreal boy, who uh, Tony had on earlier in the week, maybe even last week, on the podcast. Uh, so go check that that episode. To fire. And uh, the reason why I bring that up is because Aniello, Sammy, and I were talking just before we went on air. And, uh, you know, Sammy was talking to the crowd. I, I, of course, couldn't listen. And they were saying that, you know, the crowd was going nuts and that uh, Sammy was crying the rim. And uh, I, you know, it's funny because I saw Sami Zayn's debut in Montreal, which made me a little jealous that Tony got to talk to him. Uh, so basically what happened was it was it was a couple of years ago. I want to say it was about eight years ago. And uh, John Cena came out for his U.S. Open Challenge where he would just allow anyone to come down that ramp and challenge him for the U.S. title. Sami Zayn, uh, well, actually Bret Hart comes out uh, his first time in Montreal or showing himself in front of a Montreal crowd since the Montreal screw job. Uh, back in 1997, then uh, he introduces Sami Zayn. And when I tell you guys, I've been to a lot of Habs games in my day. I've been to a lot of concerts at the Bell Center in my day. I'm not exaggerating when I say that was the loudest I had ever heard the Bell Center pop for an event like that. I mean, it was just nuts. Uh, you know, Sammy, he tore his shoulder on his entrance because he swung his arm to get the crowd pumped up. And he used to do that, tore his shoulder and still competed in about a 20 minute match with John Cena. It was just an incredible, incredible moment. Uh, one guy, uh, anyways, enough about that. Uh, one guy who has been in the Bell Center a bunch of times and has heard it very, very loud is Mr. Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette, a regular Friday contributor on the Sick Podcast. Stu, how we doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Uh, were you a wrestling guy growing up? You know what? When I was a kid, I remember, I'll date myself here, I remember my mom taking me to the forum, and I remember it was Gilles the Fish Poisson. And it was like Tarzan the Boot Tyler. And I remember people throwing fish into the ring when Joe the Fish Poisson came into the ring. But I haven't followed wrestling in, I don't know, 40 years maybe. But I do remember going as a kid and I remember the being at the forum. It was kind of cool. Yeah, well, that's that's something about I find about wrestling because I went, uh, you know, WWE was here for one of their house off-air shows uh, not too long ago, and I was crowded. There's just something about wrestling because you said like you haven't followed it for years. I haven't followed it, you know, I followed it off and on, uh, but not uh, religiously like some people. And you know, it's just something when you're there and in the crowd. 
it, it pulls that child out of you. You know, like you're you're going nuts in there. You know, you're freaking out over things that you know it's not real. I mean, it's performance, mm -hmm. and you're just you're just freaking out along with the rest of the crowd. So uh, hopefully well, tomorrow's well, show. When I was a ahead, kid that hadn't when I was a kid that hadn't come out and admitted that it was fake back then yet. So it was sort of well, sort that's of right. Was, yeah, you know the foreign objects and uh, the Hollywood blondes and. Uh, I remember it was pretty big. I remember it was on TV every Saturday morning also. So, yeah, I remember as a kid it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so uh, that's at the Bell Centre tomorrow night. If you could uh, – if you're going, leave a comment below. Let us know. That would be pretty interesting to, to hear from you if you're excited or not. Uh, all right, so Canadians, um, since the last time I spoke on this podcast – crazy things have happened. I mean, they went three and one in four games. You know, I never thought I would see I would say at this point in the season, especially with the manpower that's uh, down that the Canadians would win three in a row, but they did it. Uh, I was in the building on Tuesday, uh, great game against Chicago, full team win. Uh, any, I mean, listen, the wins and losses, we know we've been saying it all year. They don't really matter that much, but were there any takeaways from that win? Well, beating Chicago wasn't a surprise. I mean, Chicago is a horrible team. Um, but beating Edmonton 6-2 was a surprise. <laughs> Nobody expected yeah. that. Connor McDavid, no points and minus three in that game. But it just shows you that, you know, sometimes effort can beat talent. And that was a perfect example. Mm. Um, you know, the Kings have a lot of guys that, you know, Rafael Harvey Pinard's playing for his future in the NHL. is 24 years old. Uh, seven goals now in 11 games, I believe it is. Um, you know, Belzil is a guy who's not playing for his NHL future. This is his one chance to play in the NHL. See a guy score his first goal in the NHL mm -hmm. at age 31 is quite remarkable and happy for the guy. So it's a bunch of guys that are, are work, they're working hard. And uh, as I've said before, I believe on, on this show is players don't tank. You know, management can try and tank yeah. by putting a, an inferior roster on the ice, but players are going to give you everything they have. I mean, you know, Raphael, as I said, Harvey Pinard is playing for his future. Other guys are playing for another contract. They're either playing because they want to stay in Montreal or they're playing because they hope another team will pick them up. Uh, you look at all the assists Jonathan Drouin has picked up. Uh, you know, he had a tough night uh, last night. He finished minus three, but Dadenov's played well recently. Uh, Josh Anderson's played well recently. Uh, Jake Allen played very well recently. So, as I said, you know, players don't tank. Management can try and put an inferior product on this that they won't win. We see that with Chicago. And Chicago will be even worse after the trade deadline if they are able to trade Patrick Kane and, and, and other guys. But um, for the Canadians, and it just shows you the main takeaway I have from that is just the impact Marty St. Louis had on this team. The guys want to play for him. They respect him. They like him. They like the system he plays. I was speaking with Jonathan Drouin a couple of days ago, and he says, you know, the offensive players on this team are lucky to have the freedom that Marty St. Louis gives them to play with. Um, you know, they have offensive freedom. Um, he doesn't want guys being tied so tightly to a system that they're afraid to show their skills. And um, that's good for, it works for a player like Drew. And it works, we've seen what Kirby Dock has done. You go back to the video the Canes did on draft day when they made the trade for Kirby Dock. And Kent Hughes was on the phone with Kirby Dock back in Chicago, wherever he was in the summer. And he said to him, you're going to love playing for our coach. And that's what we've seen. And Kirby Dock has loved playing for Marty St. Louis. Marty St. Louis has brought him along really well, having him on the wing with Caulfield and Suzuki. Now moving him into center, he seems to be comfortable in that role. And he's moving forward. So the team is buying what Marty St. Louis is selling. And that's the number one job of a, an NHL coach or a coach in any pro sports league today. So... So you touched on a couple points that I had written down. So that's already a good thing because, you know, we're, we're on the same page tonight, which is great. Um, I, I want to start back uh, with that game that you mentioned against Edmonton, because I believe it was that game. If not, it was against the Islanders, you know, a video uh, that the Habs tweeted out post game, you know, the players coming in, they're jumping mm -hmm. around, they're excited. I mean, man, like this team knows where they are in the standings. You know, they could say, oh, we don't, you know, we take it one game. They they know what's going on. You know, they're not blind mm -hmm. to that fact. I mean, that's got to be a credit to Marty St. Louis. Just, you know, they, they're coming in, you know, they're however many points out of a playoff spot. It doesn't really matter because they're, they're bottom 10 in the league. Mm -hmm. um, and you see them coming into the to, into the locker room. They're jumping around. They're excited. They're happy to be there. They just beat Edmonton, or it was New York. Either way, what does that you know just say about this team and and how they look going forward under this uh, this coaching group? 
it's not only Marty St. Louis, I think it's Ken Hughes also. You know, he's, he's building a team where so many of these guys are 21, 22, 23 years old. They're all some, the, the future of this team is all in that age group. And they're coming up together. They're friends. They're, they're friends on, on the ice. They're friends off the ice. It's a fun locker room to be in. Um, you know, Kovacevic and, and Jack, before he got hurt, you see them sitting together in the locker room overhearing some of their conversations. They're, they're buddies. They're fun. They have a lot of fun. David Savard, sort of like a father figure in there to, to a lot of the guys. Um, you know, Nick Suzuki, sort of the quiet leader. Cole Caulfield, when he was around, was sort of the, 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 the funny brother, right? The guy was always in a good mood. And the interesting thing is when St. Louis said when um, Caulfield what season ended with a shoulder surgery, he said, we don't only have to replace his goals, we have to replace his enthusiasm in the locker room. And I think Harvey Panarin has helped do both of those things with the scoring. And he's also, he's living his dream right now, getting a chance to play for the Canadians. And Alex Belzilla is also, I'm speaking with Nick Suzuki after a couple of games ago after the game. And he was saying that those two guys have really provided a spark in the room. You know, you're a guy like uh, Nick Suzuki, first round pick, uh, or, or uh, Kirby Doc, third overall pick. And, um, you know, your road to the NHL was a lot easier than what it's been for Raphael Harvey Pirates, a seventh-round pick, or Alex Belson, mm-hmm. who was never drafted, 31-year-old, as I mentioned, scoring his first goal. I think guys look at them and maybe realize just how lucky they are to be in the situation they are. And Marty St. Louis had a great quote after a recent game. He said, you know, for some players, the door to the NHL opens if you're a first-round pick. For other guys, you got to climb through the window. And those are two guys who have had to climb through the window to get their chance in the NHL. But it's a team that they just seem to – that age group thing again reminds me of the Edmonton Oilers and the old boys on the bus. You know that they were all around. The, I'm not saying this team is going to be like the Edmonton Oilers and become a dynasty, but yeah, it's that mentality that you bring these guys. They're all young. They're all either single or they have girlfriends, or they're all they're all in the same age. They have the same interests. They're all sort of experiencing life in the NHL for the first time, or maybe their first or second year. There was that great quote from Arbor Jack guy when he was sitting on the plane with Goulet, the Habs private charter. And threw a few F-bombs in there. He said, we're sitting on a freaking private jet eating steak. You're like, how is this real? Now, this is a kid who was working at Costco in Hamilton a couple of years ago. So there's just, there's a lot of, a lot, like, they're fun to be around. And, you know, I have a son who's 22. He's the same age as a lot of these players. And, and you just sort of see the bond that these guys are having. And they're really having a good time. They're living a dream. They realize that some of them realize they're living a dream. You know, Kovacevic, he was a guy who was claimed on waivers. I think he had played four games in the NHL before this season. Um, they're and it's just it's and with Marty St. Louis, they're leading them. Uh, it's a key. And Marty St. Louis, when he took this job, one of the things he said is, "I can relate to every single player in the locker room because I've been in every one of their shoes. I wasn't drafted. I was placed on waivers. I wasn't claimed. I was sent to the minors. I was a fourth liner. I was a third liner. I was a first liner. He's done everything, so he can relate to yeah. what all these guys are going through. And I think, you know, the the it's, it's the players really, really uh, respect them. You know, Pierre Gervais in the book he wrote uh, recently, the former equipment manager, said, you know, it's a lot of talk that maybe um, Dominic Ducharme had lost the room. He said he never lost the room because he never had the room. He never really mm-hmm. – as Dominic Ducharme was a qualified coach. You know, he won in the Quebec Junior League. He won with Team Canada at the World Juniors. But he just didn't have that instant respect when he walked into the room like Marty St. Louis did. And he didn't have the communication skills that Marty St. Louis had, like not even close. And that is so important in today in any pro sports with coaches. You got to be able to communicate with the players. You got to get them, you know, when you sit a guy, you got to let him know why he's being sit. When, you, when you're you just got to deal with people well. And he does that. Marty Sandwich does that really well. He deals with the media well also. So his communication skills are fantastic. He has instant credibility as a Hall of Fame player. He has concepts. He doesn't like the word systems, but he has concepts that the players like. There's a lot of offense involved. We're seeing Kirby Doc you know, and others benefiting from that system. I mean, Cole Caulfield, look what Cole Caulfield did, uh, you know, since Marty St. Louis took over. So there's the future looks bright for this team moving forward. There's a lot of young prospects with the team now. There's a lot more young prospects that are going to be coming up. They're having fun. Marty St. Louis concepts and systems, they're having fun playing it. It's going to take a little while. It's going to take a couple more years, but they don't give up and they play hard. And at this point in the rebuild, that's all really a coach, a coach can ask for is the guys go out and give everything they have every game. And we've seen that for the most part in you know the vast majority of the games this season with the Canadians. So this is where I'm interested in because you know we keep mentioning 
all the young guys that are coming up, the, a lot of guys are playing for their lives, such as uh, such as uh, Raphael Harvey Pinard, who's been doing a fantastic job of that. Uh, my question is, you know, like, and we're both very lucky that this is not our job. I mean, the, the pay of it would be nice if <laughs> he his job, but I digress. Anyways, the, my question is, you know, once not even fully healthy, let's look next year. You know, they're going to start, they got to start climbing out of this hole eventually. And I would imagine that's going to happen, start to happen next year. They got to get more talent in the lineup. Yet, all these young guys proving that they could play, where's the adjustment period? You know, like who's going to, I'm not asking for a prediction, but it's like, who, who's going to be there next year? Like who of these guys are like, yeah, this guy I want him on the team because it kind of looks like every other night we, you know, with of the young players, at least I'm talking about, you could say to yourself, yeah, I want this guy on my team, but there's just not enough space for this. Well, the real battle is going to be on defense. I mean, that three game winning streak, look at the players that they're missing. They're missing Goulet, they're missing Edmondson. That's two of their top defensemen. You know, you're missing uh, Slavkovsky, you're missing Caulfield, you're missing Jake Evans, you're missing Sean Monaghan, you're missing their so. You know, the end of the press box where the injured players sit. I mean, they're running out of chairs there for these guys to sit in. Um, so, like, Raphael and Harvey Pernod, if he continues to play the way he has, I think he's he, he's going to earn a spot on the team next season. It's not going to be on the first line with Suzuki and uh, and Caulfield, or, like, now it's Suzuki and Anderson. But he's shown that, you know, his nickname in Laval was Lavaliger, and he, he plays a very similar style to Brendan Gallagher. He's not afraid to go to the dirty areas. He can, he can score when he gets an opportunity. He works his butt off every time he's on the ice. What an opportunity for him, not just to get called up to the Canadians, but to play on the number one line. Like, that doesn't happen, right? A guy gets called up from Laval, usually you play on the fourth line. Even if you're an offensive guy, you don't get on the first line. But with so many injuries, he's made the most of his opportunity. I think look at a guy like Belzil. He's not in the Canadians' future plans. I mean, this is, as I said, this he's living. This is his moment right now to play for the Canadians right now with all the injuries. If there wasn't so many injuries, he'd be back in Laval. He'd be captain of the team. Uh, but he's had a good influence in the room, too. And Marty Stanley, we talked about that. He's a captain in Laval, and he said he's come up here to the NHL level, and he's been a leader here also. So there's going to be – and we don't know who's going to be here next year also because, you know, Julian's going to be gone. Dad and I was going to be gone. Monaghan probably going to be gone. Uh, there's going to be a lot of salary cap money available to Kent Hughes, uh, however he wants to spend it in the offseason, uh, whether it's going out and signing free agents, whether it's making trades to bring in players with salary. Um, so it's really going to be interesting. I mean, on defense, it's really going to be interesting because you're going to have more prospects coming up um, uh, and, and what he does in the offseason. So it's hard to say right now who will be uh, having a job next season when training camp starts and who won't. I mean, the obvious ones, you know, uh, Suzuki's going to be there, Caulfield, obviously, yeah, of course. Jordan Harris and Caden Gooley and those guys. But there's going to be spots open. And it'll be interesting to see how the Canes fill it, whether it's by bringing in free agents, as I mentioned, whether it's making trades for other players or whether it's bringing up other prospects. Uh, but basically all the prospects they've had in Laval have had a chance to play this season for the Canadians already. So it's given uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, if they didn't know all the guys when they first came into this job, they certainly know them pretty well right now. Oh, yeah. Well, they're getting to know uh, everyone quite well. And, I mean, even towards, you know, from last night, you know, we see – Justin Barron go down with an injury and, you know, hopefully it's not too, too bad, but it, you know, all signs are pointing towards him missing some time. So, you know, at this point, like, you know, it's just what, what, what happens next is my, is my question. I mean, you've basically seen, we've all seen it all this season. Who's the next guy up? I I mean, what happens next at this point? You know, they're going to call up. We'll, we'll find out what's going to happen with uh, with Barron. It's, it looked awkward the way he went into the boards. I mean, one of Mark Bergevin's lines he like liked to use all the time is he can never have too many defensemen, and that's very true. Uh, but I think what happens next right now for the Canes and their fans is just the March 3rd trade deadline. I mean, until – and it's – they're – in a way, I feel bad for Kent Hughes because, you know, Sean Monaghan, they were hoping maybe get a first-round pick for him. Joel Edmondson, you know, maybe a first or a second or a good prospect. Uh, right now, it looks like you're going to get nothing for them. I mean, Monaghan skated yesterday and the took part in the morning skating in a non-contact jersey. He hasn't played for 30 games. Uh, Joel Edmondson, it seems to be a chronic back problem. Like, how much is the team going to give up for a defenseman whose back could go out of him on any time, it seems? 
Um, I wonder why the Canes allowed Monaghan to play so long with while he was wearing a cast on his foot and taking it off and playing games and putting the cast back on. Uh, Jonathan Drouin, I don't know if there's much of a market out there for him. Dadnov, what are you going to get for Dadnov? You're not going to get much if you can move him at all. So um, whatever plans Hughes thought or whatever he thought he might get for this trade deadline, it doesn't look like he's going to get much. I don't. I can't see how they get another first-round pick from the situation they're in now. Unless Mon- I mean, there's not that many games left before we march through trade deadline. And Monaghan and Edmondson are damaged goods at this point. And the Canes went very secretive about what's going on with Monaghan, what the injury is. Originally, it certainly seemed like it was a broken foot because he was wearing the cast, and he said the injury was a result of taking a shot. So I'm not a doctor, but uh, it sounds like he broke his foot. And then you wonder if by playing on the foot for so long, did he aggravate something else? Did he aggravate his hips? He's had surgery on both of his hips. Mm. Um, as a you know, With Edmondson, like I said, it's a chronic back issue. So uh, that's the March 3rd trade deadline. After that, we'll have a better idea of, of moving forward um, who might or might not be here next year. Um, but you know, Jonathan Joy, I can't, you know, he's not gonna be back here next year. Dad and I was not gonna be back here next year. And, um, you know, can they move uh, Hoffman at the trade deadline? The other one I wonder about is if they're gonna move Jake Allen because, uh, mm-hmm. he doesn't figure into their, he has a new two year contract that kicks in next year, but he doesn't figure into the Canadians' plans three, four years down the road when this rebuild, hopefully for the Canadians, will be reached yeah. its peak that they're 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 ready to compete again for the playoffs and if there's a team that's desperate for a goalie uh, or isn't confident in the number one goal they have right now going into the playoffs maybe they'll overpay for jake allen and at some point you're gonna have to find out what Caden primo can do in the nhl so like going to next season you just go with primo and montenbow and let them sort of split the 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 game and see how that goes but um we'll find out we'll know answers to a lot more of those questions after march 3rd well, that, and that so March third is going to be interesting because you mentioned two players that were mentioned by uh, the insiders on, on TSN a couple days ago, if not yesterday, uh, and and it's Jonathan Drew and Evgeny Dadadov because you know everyone knew heading into you know of course if everyone was healthy. Uh, and all things being equal, they're still here at this point. Edmondson and Monaghan are the guys. Mm-hmm. You know, th- those yeah. were the the marquee blue chip guys that from the Canadians at least that they had to offer. Now, you know, with the injuries, who knows? Like you said, but what's interesting is that last night, I think I saw it. It was Pierre LeBrun talking about. Uh, two of those guys in Dadanov and Drouin. And he said, eh, I'm not so sure about Drouin, but Dadanov could be a good fallback uh, for a lot of teams that might strike out and they might go circle back to the Canadians on the 11th hour. Now, obviously, he's not going to fetch a first round pick, no. but I mean, you know, I, I think we could see I, it, it's kind of going, you know, as. Uh, you know, I hate to say it this way, but it really is this way. It's like either I feel like the Canadians are going to make between now and March 3rd, you know, maybe five trades or they're just going to stand pat. And, you know, people are going to criticize Kent Hughes. It's probably going to be the first time he faces criticism. But uh, at the end of it all, like, what can he do at this point? There's really yeah. not much. I mean, for Joy and Dadnov, right now, he'd take whatever you can get for him. I mean, they have no. They're able to figure into their plans moving forward. They're both unrestricted free agents after the season. Uh, veteran guys, uh, whatever you could get for them right now, I think you'd take. Um, the thing with Dadnov, he's taken some criticism this year, but from watching him, his effort's been there. Like, he works hard. Yeah. It's just like he's just lost that little bit of a step, and the game's just become a little bit too quick for him, and he's not the player that he was before or the offensive player that he was before anywhere. But it is, his effort level's been there. And – and Jonathan Drouin, the effort level's always been a big question mark for him. But when he has played this season, he's, his effort level's been as high as I've seen it with the Canadians. He, he's just, he's been so unfortunate with injuries. You know, he doesn't have a goal. Uh, he's had some chances. He ranks third on the team in assists, though. I think he's at 17 assists now. Um, but again, like, if a team is going to take those guys, uh, I think it's a case of giving the Canadians basically nothing and also asking the Canadians to eat a good chunk of whatever is left on their salaries. Um, so I'm interested to see if either of those guys move before the deadline. And again, I think Kent Hughes at this point would take whatever he could get for either of those guys. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, speaking in prior weeks, uh, you know, with uh, different guests, uh, including yourself, I've always mentioned the name of uh, Mike Hoffman. I think 
I think he gets a lot of unwarranted hate in this market. And, you know, a lot of it is exactly, you know, he came as advertised. He is who he is. He, that's he it. Who he is. You know? he's, he's not a great defensive player. He makes some bonehead decisions at times where you go, what is he thinking? But, man, can he rip the puck? You know, when he gets well, that's that. It. Well, that's uh, it. You know, we've seen we've seen him rip it. Many times this season, especially since he's been playing up in the lineup with all the injuries. So yeah. that's where my question leads is like, you think you would think like some scout that is watching the Canadians, because you always you're, you're I always see you yeah. tweeting out the list of scouts mm-hmm. that are at the game. You know, they're watching this guy and they say, OK, our team has boatloads of talent. We could use uh, we could use one more finisher. You yeah, know, I can see that ball. happening. I mean, the way he shoots the puck on the power play, Marty St. Louis had a good quote about Hoffman the other day. He said, the puck, basically, I'm paraphrased, but he said, the puck shouldn't be on Mike Hoffman's stick for very long. You know, it's basically, when the puck gets to him, he should be shooting it. Like, he shouldn't be the guy carrying it around and making a look plays. Make, but, same we said, he's also got to get himself into position, an open position, or find open ice to get that shot off. But he's a guy, he's a finisher. I mean, you don't want him carrying the puck into the zone. When he does... I mean, he makes some passes. You go, what is he doing? But he's the yeah. guy who should not be carrying the puck. He should be in the offensive zone looking for an open spot. And when he gets it, he can rip it. I mean, he's got a heck of a shot. So that might be intriguing to other teams, but he's still got term left in his contract. So, again, what are they going to be willing to give up? And, and you know, the big the big bargaining chips that Hughes had were Edmondson and Monaghan. And, and the injuries have just, you know, the, have, have changed everything as far as that scenario goes leading up to March 3rd. So we we spoke we spoke about uh, off the top about that video that popped up at the post game uh, post game after a Canadians win everyone's so cheerful happy happy go lucky even though they're losing uh, my question is to you as someone who's in and around the locker room we keep mentioning that March third uh, that March third deadline day can you sense even though we're talking because you know it kind of feels like probably not much if anything will happen but can you maybe do you get the sense that maybe some deadline day uh, anxiety is creeping up in the in the locker room? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, speaking with Jonathan Drewing after the game the other night, and he said, you know, I can't, I have no control over it. He said it's a little diff, different situation for him now because he became a dad a year ago. This is the first mm-hmm. time he's got his girlfriend and his kid to think about too and moving everything, whereas if you're a single guy, it's not so much of a deal. Hoffman had a good quote, I think it was yesterday, when he said, you know, you have Thanksgiving, you have Christmas, and you have the trade deadline. They're, you know they're coming. You know it's, you know anything's possible. You know you might be on the move. And, yeah, it's in the back of their minds, without a doubt. I mean, anybody, you're talking about uprooting your family and going to another place. And um, it, it's, it, it's, but it's part of the job uh, that these guys do. And, you know, players will say, like, when they get traded to a new team, it's actually pretty easy for them. They go into a new locker room. They have 20 friends right away, 20 new friends, probably some guys yeah. they know. It's harder on the wives and the kids. They, they get, you know, if they are going to move to a new city for the end of the season, you know, they're, they're losing their, their friends with the other wives on the teams here. Their kids might be friends with the other kids, and you're uprooting everything and going somewhere else. So it's harder on the families than it is on the players. And as I said, Joy mentioned that when I spoke with him the other day, that his wife, his girlfriend, sorry, is probably more – concerned about what's going to happen maybe his parents too then like he's just sort of going with the flow and realizes it might happen it might not happen but yeah i mean any guy who says it's not in the back of their mind or they're not thinking about it at all i don't think is being honest because uh you know if you're in this end of eyes in a situation where you didn't know where you were going to be living or working three weeks from now of course you're thinking about it and when you go home you're talking about it with your wife or your kids or your family or your friends about what might happen but it, it's part of the job and i guess as time goes on these guys get used to it yeah, and I, but I feel like it is something that like you can't really get used to it, mm-hmm. especially because, like you said, it just it's like if they're if you're a single guy, no big deal, you know. Yeah. You you probably you're not you probably don't even have a house in the in the, yeah. the city yeah. that you're playing in. You you just mm-hmm. rented a place and mm-hmm. you know they, you get shipped off. Okay, no big deal. Yeah, uh, but like it's kind of I feel like it's one of those things you just don't get used to. No, as a I'm player, you know. Depending on the age you are, your kids are in school. So if your kids are in school in Montreal, you're not pulling them out of school. You're going to go be living by yourself in a hotel somewhere for the rest of the season, right? And then, you know, if you're then finding out, you know, if you're a guy who has a contract expiring, um, you know, go back to Ben Sherratt last year. He got traded at the deadline. He went to Florida. Um, 
you know, his family probably either stayed in Montreal or maybe went to Hamilton where he's from. He went to Florida. He was there, left there, and then he ends up in Detroit. So it's all, there's a lot of things going along. And as, as, as I mentioned before, it, it's, it's definitely harder on the family, the wife and the kids than it is on the hockey player. So let's uh, let's let's talk about some more deadline th- related things because it's 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 coming up fast. I remember it is. you know I, we've been talking about when's yeah. the shoe gonna drop and like yeah. oh maybe next week maybe yeah. maybe in a couple of days and like the time is coming quick. Well, so, it was February fourteenth uh, last year, I believe, where Tyler Toffoli was traded. That was the first sort of big move that Hughes right, did. Right, so it's right is. around now. Like now is the time where. You know, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the Canadians made a move, you know, Monday or Tuesday this week, depending. Yeah. But again, it's it's if if Monaghan and Edmonton were healthy, it would be less of a shock than it is now, right? I mean, like guys like Drew or or Dadnov, I mean, there's no rush for other teams to pick guys like that up. So and, and one the, of the reasons, sorry, one of the reasons they traded Sherrod before the deadline last season earlier and Toffoli is the injury factor too, right? You're seeing right. guys in the league now being held out healthy scratches because they're going to be traded. They don't want them to get hurt. There you go. So uh, one guy who he won't, he probably won't be traded. Yeah. He will probably won't be traded, but you know, his name has been propping up, you know, every couple days now, it seems like his name is being tossed around on some segment. And I don't know if it's for ratings or if, yeah. if there's some truth there, but there's always, you know, there's always a little bit of truth to these things. You know, whether there's smoke, there's fire. I, I truly believe that, especially in the NHL. And one guy, the Canadians have made their stance on him pretty darn clear, which is if you want him, you are going to have to pay. Uh, they, they, they didn't say he's an untouchable, but they, they'd like to have him going forward. But if you want him, you're prime away from us. And that's Josh Anderson. So. Yeah. Have you heard anything of like what that might, what that pay the piper price might be? I I'm I haven't heard, but just from my own personal perspective, um, I wouldn't be in a rush to trade Josh Anderson. Guys that came are hard to find, and uh, you know, moving forward, you have Cole Caulfield's not a big guy. You have Sean Farrell coming up, who's not a big guy. You have Hudson, the defenseman, to be kind of not a big guy. You need some size still in today's NHL. Um, you know, you look the other night, I mean, I don't like it when there's a clean hit and now in the NHL there has to be a fight. But, you know, Nick Suzuki got rocked the other night and Josh Anderson came and dropped the gloves and fought him and you saw Suzuki skate over the penalty box and thank him afterwards. Might make a guy think twice the next time but Suzuki gets caught with his head down, which is what happened at play. But Anderson's just a guy, He's, he's there's not a lot, of, a lot of guys around the NHL like that. Big guys who can skate like him, drive to the net hard. So, like, what would it take for, for Kent Hughes? I'm thinking it would be a first-round pick and a prospect, I would think, to, to let him go. Um, and uh, as I said, I, w- I wouldn't be in a rush to trade Josh Adams. And the other thing you got to factor in is that he loves playing for the Canadians. His dad was a huge Canadians fan. He was thrilled when he ended up playing here. He likes being here. He's liked by his teammates. He's liked in the room. And it goes back to what we were talking about before, about these guys sort of being like brothers almost and coming up together. And he's sort of like a, a little bit of an older brother and the big brother who, if, you know, you, your little brother gets bullied in the schoolyard, uh, he's going to come to your defense type of thing. Um, so I think for Kent Hughes, it, it would take something like a first round pick and plus I, I would think for him to um, listen and think about moving Josh Anderson because guys like got players like that are, there's not a lot of big forwards. You can go up and down like he does. Um, in today's NHL, they just aren't. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that would be one that's like, you know, because he, he signed for quite a bit of term, uh, mm-hmm. you know, remaining on his contract. And off the top of my head, I don't know how old he is, but I think it's 1994. He's 29. Yeah, he's 28 turning 29 in May. Um, so, you know, with that, I mean, I could the only way I could see it happening is if like, by coming up to deadline, uh, if they have made this determination, or even next year, if things don't go well, yeah. they just say, you know what, he he's going to lose a step eventually while he's yeah. on this contract. Let's give let's ship him off while he still has a lot of value and he has some juice left in him, and some team is going to pay. That's what I can yeah. see. Happening. And they don't. I mean, as you say, he's on your contract. He's got I think it's what four more years or three or four more years left on the deal. 
So Kent Hughes doesn't have to be in a rush. He doesn't have to trade him this year. If the offer is, if he doesn't get an offer that you know blows him away this year, you can trade him next year. You trade him in the summer when other teams have more um, salary cap available to them. So for Kent Hughes, I'd just be sitting back and listening. And unless it's an offer, you know, I'm telling if you're the other GM and you're calling me, I'm going. I don't want to trade him, but if, you know, make me an offer I can't refuse if you really want him that bad. That would be my approach if I was Ken Hughes dealing with uh, Josh Anderson. And again, I, I don't think you can overemphasize, you know, we've heard for so many years, guys who don't want to play in Montreal for whatever reasons. Mm. There's a guy who wants to play in Montreal. And, and I think you have to factor that in. And especially when you're bringing young guys in here uh, to have a veteran who, who, who type player who's telling you why it's great to play in Montreal instead of why it sucks to play in Montreal. Right. And uh, I I think that's important. Yeah. I feel like it is too, because you know, like it's not even a, I I find one thing that never comes up with Anderson, because I think we could say, you know, living up, he hasn't lived up to his contract. That's just what it is. Mm -hmm. Cause all the time we're talking, you know, Oh my God, Josh Anderson, fully healthy. He could score 30 goals. Well, we haven't seen that. Yeah. So, but the one thing you never hear about Josh Anderson is like the media pressure that it's mm-hmm. such a hot button topic here. It yeah. never gets to him. It never really phases him. And that that's, you know, that's something that I feel like it goes unnoticed about him. And he's, he's, he's very comfortable dealing with the media. It doesn't bother him. He doesn't hide in the background. He's always very uh, friendly dealing with us, or at least with me anyway, he's always friendly dealing with us, answers questions, uh, um, does isn't bothered by it, and a lot of guys are in Montreal. A lot of guys don't want to talk. I mean, Shea Weber hated talking to the media. Like he would, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was hard to get an interview with him. Um, but for you know, he Anderson likes playing here, and uh, I think you have to factor that in. But again, I mean, if Ken Hughes is a smart guy, and if somebody makes him an offer that he can't refuse, he'll trade him. Um, but again, he's, I don't. He doesn't have to be in any kind of a rush at all, especially at this stage of the Canadians' rebuild, which is early. Year one of the full start to this rebuild, yeah. he didn't have to be in a rush to do anything. Can't use and take his time. He knew in a rush to trade Sean Monahan, yes, because you know free unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Um, maybe in a rush to trade Joel Edmondson because of that back. I mean that that back thing is really a concern. You know, he missed the start of last season, missed the start of this yeah. season, came back and played. You know, the Canes first said it was a lower body injury, then it was an upper body injury. So, you know, put two and two together, it's probably a middle body injury and it's his back again. Um, so, no, Ken Hughes, he doesn't have to be in a rush to do anything. I think he knows that. Um, he's a smart guy. And, he, again, I think he'll just sit back with Josh Anderson and say, you know, I'm not looking to trade him. If you want to make me a deal I offer I can't refuse, I'll listen. Yeah. Uh, the Sick Podcast brought to you by Playground. They have over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and Playground casino games. Daily promotions and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. Also, the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro's Tascam equipment is supplied by Ericsson Audio, the choice of musicians, engineers, and broadcast professionals such as myself and Tony Marinero. Um, so Stu, uh, I mean, let, let's talk a little bit around about, you know, elsewhere in the NHL. Cause I'm interested because yeah, and we're related back to the Habs because even let's say this is my favorite game. My friends know this about me. I just love what ifs. I love the what if game. I hate it. Um, so, but let's say for argument's sake, uh, Monaghan is healthy. Edmondson is healthy. Uh, you know, the, the, the Canadians are at full strength and, you know, all the chips are, you know, they're all in play. What do, you know, Kent Hughes has always said he wa- he's wanted that third first round pick. Mm-hmm. After the trades of Horvat and Tarasenko, even fully healthy, I don't think that's a possibility. Yeah. It kind of feels like the only first round pick that's going to be moved is going to be the one for Patrick Kane. If he moves at all, yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. I mean, it's going to be as a, a healthy Sean Monaghan, the way he was playing earlier this season, we continue to play that way right through. I think he probably would have got a first round pick just because, again, there's no term on the contract at the end of the season. He's 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 a free agent. Kings could trade him and re-sign him again. I think with Monaghan, and it's even hard to say this, but I mean, 
maybe the odds are more likely that the Canes try and re-sign him now if they if they can't if it look the trade deadline passes. But the health thing is like you know surgery on both hips, and you know I think back to when Shea Weber played through that broken foot two years ago and it led to problems with his ankle and then his knee and you know your body when you have when one part of your body is broken down you compensate with other parts right and with Monaghan was he compensating the compensating from his foot did that affect his hips again and um I, again I really don't understand why the Canes allowed him to play as many games as they did while he was wearing a cast taking it off and 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 playing the game but yeah at this point I mean I I don't see the Canadians getting that third first round pick uh leading into this year's draft and that's another reason when we talk about josh anderson you know you wait another year and maybe next year who knows what the situation is and you get that extra first round pick next year instead of this year uh, and you know what let's just to close the book on on sean manahan i'm, I'm gonna ask you your professional opinion for media speak because you speak this mm-hmm. language very well uh you know, on that insider trading uh, segment, Pierre Lebrun said, you know, the Canadians are hoping that Sean Monaghan can return sometime in the next two weeks. Is that like a blind hope of it or like has word actually come out that he's improving or anything at all? They've been Canadians have been so secretive about his injury, which makes me figure it's worse than that makes me believe it's worse than it is better. If that makes sense. Like if it was if they knew what it was, I mean. You know, he was back skating a while ago, and they said, oh, he should be, but he's, they can't use even said at the mid-season uh, news conference. He's always very close to returning. Well, that's, what, three weeks ago now? Yeah. So there's obviously been setbacks along the way, and again, I wonder if it's related to his hip. You know, as I said, he took part yesterday in the morning skate with a non-contact jersey, but today is, what, February 17th, February 18th? There's a, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but there's not that many games left before March 3rd, a handful of games. So... Even if he does come back, is that enough time to prove that he's healthy enough to go through the end of the season and the playoff grind for a team that wants him for the playoffs? Same with Edmondson. You know, is is two games before the March third trade deadline going to give another GM enough confidence that he's ready? And I think one of the reasons the Canadians have been so secretive with the injuries is because they don't want other teams to know how injured these guys are. You know, know media members get upset that they're not they're not as, as straightforward or as, as uh, that maybe you wish they would be, but again, I think they just they don't want other teams to know how bad it was. But the the more they don't reveal information, the more I think the information is worse than it is better. So I, I think Sean Monahan is, uh, you know, Edmondson didn't even make this road trip, so mm. you know he's 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 obviously not close to coming back. I said Monahan is not ready to take contact yet. Um, so even if they even if they come back now, like. Is two games before the trade deadline going to be enough for a, another jam to be convinced that Monaghan is healthy and ready to go? I don't think so. Yeah. And it, by not, the way, not, for just, a, uh, not for a high exchange, maybe like for a fifth round pick or something. They might. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something like, like, gonna, like totally risk free. Yeah, totally risk free. We'll give you a fifth round pick for Sean Monaghan. And, but, you know, we're not, they'll be cut. You know, like, why would you give up a first round pick or a top prospect for a guy who might play two games and be hurt again? Yeah. And uh, just just so you know, it's uh, it's actually six games before the uh, before yeah, the yeah. deadline. The, the Canadians do have a game on March third. It's in Anaheim. Uh, that's so right. But that's month. after the deadline. That's the, exactly. The deadline's at three exactly. Right. So so exact. It'll be six games between now and March third at three p.m. Eastern time. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like you said. It's just not a lot of time for all these guys to impress all that much coming back from injury. But again, it just leads you back to the guys that are here because they're kind of stepping up their game at exactly the right time. And the thing that I find is interesting about Dadanov is that, you know, the playoffs in a weird way, the game kind of slows down in the playoffs because it's more of a physical game. You're playing way harder and you're finishing every check. So, you know, you get, you get, you find yourself later in a game and it, it's kind of slowed down a bit, obviously, of course, with the exception of, you know, the, the, the all-stars in the league that are playing, but it, it'll kind of slow you down a bit because, you know, you're taking so many knocks. So to me, it kind of is like, 
well, we saw what Corey Perry was able to do, uh, you know, with the Canadians on that run. We were saw what Eric Stahl was able to do with the Canadians on that run. And we saw what, well, he kind of brought something different to the table, but we also saw what Yoel Armia could do with the Canadians on that run. So it kind of makes me think that, huh, maybe, you know what, Canadians retain 50% or whatever the max amount of, you know, salary they're allowed to retain on a player. Retain a uh, retain data, retain a uh, Dadanov salary, and then you know, you got yourself. You know, if you get yourself a fourth round pick out of that, I'd be pretty happy with that return, yeah. And that's the thing with the playoffs, too. There's such a um, veteran players are so important because one bad bonehead mistake can change a series. Think back to Alex Galchenyuk's blind pass oh, yeah. in the playoff series when he was with Toronto against the Canadians, it turned that series. So you want smart hockey players that do smart things with the puck. And Dadnov's one of those guys. And again, he Dadnov's impressed me this year. Like he's worked hard. Just the game has just gotten a little bit too quick for him. So yeah, for a team looking for a veteran guy who has still, he still has some offensive ability. You can, you know, he can score if it's a chance. He hasn't done a lot with the Canadians. But to have just that veteran guy on the fourth line that you know is used to playing in pressure situations, isn't gonna make the bonehead play. Uh, you can trust them. Then it's a big thing for coaches in the playoffs. Can I trust this guy? Can I put him on the ice and trust them? Mm. And there might be a team there that still has, you know, there's been a lot of scouts at the games watching that. And I'm sure one of the things they're looking at is, can we still trust this guy? Like, is, is this a player we can trust? Even though maybe he's lost a little bit of a step, can we trust him in the playoff uh, environment? If the answer to that is yes, then yeah, maybe they do give up a fourth round pick and I'm sure the Canadians would be willing to, as I said at this point, for Dadanov or Julian, I think they'd be willing to take whatever they get. And I also think they'd be willing to eat 50% of their contracts to get rid of them. Yeah, to me, the other thing is, you know, like uh, I'm not going to, you know, make the case. I'm not going to be an advocate of Jonathan Drouet for another team to take him. Not that other teams are listening to this, but anyway, you know what I mean. But, you know, he's been a playoff performer in the past, uh, you know, with his days in Tampa Bay. Those are long gone. That's a long time ago, yeah. It's a long time ago, but, you know, I I feel like there is something to be said about, you know, teams who run into injury problems, you know, not necessarily like the Canadians right now. It's a bit of an exaggeration of an example, but, you know, a couple guys get, uh, get hurt in the playoffs. You know, you always hear, you know, this guy's playing with a separated shoulder, you know there's something to be said about having a guy who could step in and, you know, you know, he's done it in the past and he could do it again if called upon in doses. Yeah. And Drew, I know that was a while ago. And I think it was only that one playoff run where he had a, that run. I mean, Canadians fans who have watched him play is, is he really a playoff performer? Mm. You know, you got to wonder about that. Um, for Jonathan Drew, personally, I like Jonathan Drew. He's, he's a, he's a nice guy to deal with. I think the pressure is really eating him up in Montreal. Um, and, and it's been really difficult for him. And I think, you know, at this point in his career, he needs a fresh start somewhere else. Uh, whether he's going to get another fresh start somewhere in the NHL, I'm not certain. Like, it might be a case of him getting a PTO, sort of like I mentioned Galchenyuk before, like he got. Like, I don't know if another NHL team, and factor in all the injuries too. I mean, he's had surgery on both wrists. He's missed he had a rib injury also. He's missed a lot. A lot of times, it's 38 games uh, over the last two seasons, I think it is. Um, so, like, what kind of a contract are you going to offer that type of guy? It's not going to be much, right? Yeah. But for Jonathan Drouin, I mean, as um, personally, like, I, I'd like to see him get another chance somewhere else in a fresh start. And I'd like to see him do well because it, it, I just think he's a case of coming into Montreal. Sergeyev played so well in Tampa, which made it even harder on him. Uh, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And um, as I said, I, I, I like Jonathan Drouin. I think he's, he's, a, he's a good person. I think he's a nice guy eaten up by the pressure here in Montreal a little bit. And for him, I, I think a trade at this point, he would never say it. I mean, I asked him the other night, I said, you know, would you, in a perfect world, would you like to be part of the Canadians moving forward? And he said, yeah, he likes playing for Marty St. Louis. He likes his system. As I mentioned earlier, it's fun for an offensive guy to play in that system. But with everything else that comes along with it, um, I think it's worn on Jonathan Drouin over the years, and I think we've seen it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, But you know what? It is nice to see, you know, and it should always be recognized because, you know, like I'll go to a game with my uncle who has season tickets every now and then. And he'll just, you know, he'll always po- when he's in the line when he was in the lineup because, you know, he's he he also was injured this year uh, at some point. 
you know, he'll always poke fun, you know, oh, your favorite player has the puck, Jonathan Drouin, Jonathan, and because I know he just does that because it's his least favorite player. Yeah. And, and like, like you said, the effort level has been pretty darn high this year mm-hmm. for Jonathan Drouin. And, you know, it, it kind of sucks that it's, it's a bit too little too late for him at this point with the Canadians. Uh, and like I, it, it, everyone kind of feel knows that like that ship has kind of sailed at this point, but it, it's just a little too bad. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and it's easy for fans to forget too, that these guys are human beings also. And you know, when Jonathan yeah. left the team in 21, when they're in that Stanley cup run where he had the insomnia issues and he would go three nights without sleeping and, and stuff like that. And, and, they're humans. And I mean, you know, from, from my job, I get to know these, you know, get to know them really well, but I mean, you get to know guys a little bit and, you know, you can tell who are good guys and who might not be the best people. Um, but they're human beings and yes, they make a lot of money and yes, they're living a dream playing in the NHL, but as you know, one of my favorite lines and it's so true, you know, don't judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes or skated a mile in their shoes and, and the pressure of playing hockey for the Montreal Canadians not just on the ice, but off the ice. Like, you know, these guys can't go anywhere around the town without getting recognized. They can't you yeah. know, go for a quiet dinner with their wife. They can't, you know, I remember when my kids were in elementary school, uh, Eric Cole and <clears throat> Brian Gianta's kids were in the same school. And, you know, at the beginning of the school year, there was, you know, the principals basically had to send out a message, like, leave these guys alone in the schoolyard. Just treat them like another parent. Don't be asking them for autographs. Don't be hounding them. Yeah. You know, their kids, imagine your kid, imagine your kid comes out from school uh, every day, and all they want to do is see their dad, and their dad's surrounded by all these people having a side, like, you know, just let, the, so it's, living in Montreal, in the fishbowl of Montreal, I mean, Carey Price years ago saying that he was didn't even like going to do groceries now, you know, he didn't like, just, it was too much, just became too much yeah. for him, and that goes back to what I was talking about earlier with Josh Anderson, Josh Anderson seems to handle that fine, it doesn't seem to bother him at all, and, you know, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki have both Seem to enjoy being in the limelight. The uh, Jack guys the same way. They're young, though. You know, time what things might change as time moves on. Um, Jonathan Drouin probably liked it when he first got here too. But you know, the, a lot of people have said you know Montreal is the best place in the world to play when things are going well, and the worst place to play when things aren't going well. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny. It's just like that that just made me think. Uh, you know, that story of uh, Gianta and Eric Cole and their kids. It just made me think of. You know, a story I heard uh, from someone I know, he told me this um, about how he was once in L.A. and he was – this is a, this is a number of years ago. But he was in L.A. and he ran into – saw – just walking down Venice Beach, just saw like Anze Kopitar, Drew Doughty, and uh, I can't remember who the third guy was. But, you know, it's like three stars of the L.A. Kings. They mm-hmm. had won their two Stanley Cups at that point, walking down the street and they're – no one's yep. around them, and he, but yep. he, from from Montreal, of course, you recognize them. So yep. he went up to them. Hey, hey, how are you guys? I'm a big big hockey fan. Nice to nice to see you. Nice to meet you. And he goes, they and he said to them, like, do, do people like ever? You know, you're in the middle of Venice yep. Beach right now. Like, do people yep. ever recognize? He, they go, that's the best thing. We're it. We live yep. in L.A. and we're like the third sports team that people think. Yeah, of. probably people now re- fourth or fifth. Yeah, with the people Chargers recognize the, LeBron and the, James. And the Rams there. People recognize LeBron James. They're like, and even in Nashville, we were, I was in Nashville New Year's Day with the Canadians. It was a day off, and I'm walking down Broadway Street, and I'm walking towards me is Joel Edmondson and Josh Anderson wearing cowboy hats. They're both six foot three or whatever. They're tall, good looking guys walking down the street, strutting down, and nobody knew who they were. Nobody. Oh, I'm walking towards them. I sort of nodded to them, and they just like nobody knew who they were. And then yeah. uh, later that afternoon, I went into uh, Tootsie's, the famous Tootsie's bar, uh, to grab a beer. And I walked in there, and there was six or seven of the Canadians sitting in there, and nobody knew who they were. And that's it must, something, it must be just such a nice change of pace. That's something they can't experience in Montreal. I mean, and I remember Bob Gainey when they had that captain's night a few years ago at the Bell Center. And uh, I was speaking with them, and I was like, you know, what was the biggest difference when you came back to Montreal as a GM from when you came as a player? And he said, well, he says, I realized, I was sort of like, where do you guys go out after the games? Like, what bars do you go to? And then I realized they don't go out. And then I was, he, he said, like, I didn't realize, do they not go out because they don't want to go out? Or they don't go out because they can't go out? And mm. it's, they don't go out because they can't go out. I mean, I remember my younger days when I was single, I'd be down on Bishop or Crescent Street. And that's back when Ganey was playing and Chelios was playing and Sobota. And, and you'd see them in the bars all the time. Like it's, it's rare you went out on a Friday or a Saturday night, especially after a game on Saturday night. 
Lyle Odelon would be in the bars, Muller, you'd see them all the time and nobody really thought anything about it. You know, somebody might ask for a picture or an autograph, but there was, everybody didn't have a camera in their pocket, right? And a cell phone. And that changed everything for these guys. That's, these guys are, you know, I mean, uh, I was saying, you know, Chris Charlie was drunk in a bar and Shane Corson drunk in a bar and all these guys and nobody thought twice, but today that would be posted. It'd be all over social media. If they start losing a couple of games, oh, they're losing because these guys were in the bar last night and they were drunk and they were. So it, it's difficult because they just there's they 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 can't go anywhere really um, without being recognized. And um, you know some guys handle that well. It amazes me how well Suzuki and Caulfield handle that for as young as they are. Cole Caulfield is amazing. Every every interaction I've seen him with fans of whatever age, he's been fantastic with them. Nick Suzuki the same way. But not everybody can deal with that the same, you know. And, uh, I remember talking with Jason York, and he had played uh, uh, in Anaheim. And he was telling me, uh, we were in Anaheim, he was with Sportsnet, I think, at the time. And I was saying to him, you know, what's it, what was it like playing here? And he said, it's fantastic. He says, you get the best of both worlds. He says, if I call up, like, the nicest restaurant, and they say, oh, well, I'm sorry, we're full. And you go, oh, well, it's Jason York with the Anaheim Ducks. And, oh, Mr. no problem, Mr. York. We'll get a table for you and your wife. Don't worry about it. Mm. Or at a golf course you want to get on. And then you go to that restaurant with your wife, and you sit down, and nobody knows who you are except the owner. Yeah, that's it. So Exactly. It's, so you know, And then as York, York would say, he said, I take my family to the beach on the weekend, and nobody knew who we were. And it's just, it's it's a different world. It's it's a, at Montreal, it's a different world. You know, it's sort of, you know, it's like being Derek Jeter with the Yankees, or as I mentioned, LeBron James in LA, or in, in Montreal, it's like the fourth line guy in Montreal gets noticed. You know, the, the equipment yeah. trainer, the equipment guy writes a book that everybody's talking about. <laughs> you know, most other cities, nobody even knows who the equipment trainer is. And if you did write a book, nobody would care. So it's just, it's a, it's a different world that these guys live in in Montreal. Uh, we just uh, just quickly, we got to do two things. Uh, because we're talking trade before, uh, we're talking first round picks and where where those might go. Well, uh, the St. Louis Blues acquired a first round pick and a third round pick and a 2024 second round pick, as well as two forwards, uh, Mikhail Abramov and Adam Gaudet from the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for Ryan O'Reilly and oh, wow. Achari. So that's a big move for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Wow, that's just uh, you know, that's a lot just of talk. What? Well, the, yeah. there you go. I mean, like, well, the, the, the Canadians got the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow night. I doubt Ryan O'Reilly yeah. would be in the lineup, no. but hey, uh, crazier things but, have happened. You know, I've seen uh, I've seen football players, you know, start the yeah. very, well. I saw Baker Mayfield start the very next day at yeah, the for right. right. the LA Rams. Uh, but O'Reilly, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly, yeah, that's a big that's move for a, Toronto. That's the exact type of player the Maple Leafs need. Like, that's a guy the Maple Leafs need. They don't have that guy. They're a team, when the going gets tough, you know, they don't get going. And, you know, it's yeah. the fact that, you know, the, the series against the Canadians. And, you know, the Canadians beat the Leafs here at the Bell Center a little while ago with basically the Laval Rocket on the ice. So, O'Reilly, boy, that's a good move for them. A guy who's won a Stanley Cup, a guy who's tough, a guy who's uh, – he, he, he brings exactly – in my opinion, something that the Leafs really, really need. That's a good trade for them. Yeah, it's a it's a very good move. Uh, so I, you'd have to think he'll fit in on the third line on that team. Uh, of course, you know, barring injury. But it's funny because you know I'm watching Overdrive uh, after I get home from work yesterday, and, and they're saying on it like the Leafs need a top six winger. I go. You got five out of the six positions filled out. Like, I think you got – because they're talking about Patrick Kane, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm like, I think you got other needs than a top six winner. They need some grit. Uh, They they need grit and they just got a lot of it. Yeah, so uh, big, big move by the Maple Leafs to – yeah, wow. Just uh, really, uh, literally almost at the – 11th hour of the night um mm-hmm. so uh i'll uh we'll end off with this uh just uh, sammy and Daniela, we, we we don't got a lot of time left so just pop up uh, a couple questions and uh we'll do our best to uh answer them so this is i love this question will the habs beat the leafs tomorrow <laughs> honestly what is going to make you say no at this point i mean they shouldn't i mean you know but <laughs> who, who thought they were going to beat the oilers i mean that's you know, as I say, there's no such thing as a safe bet, right? I mean, the, the Leafs should pound them. 
but the Oilers should have yeah, pounded them too, and they did. And the Hurricanes should have pounded them, and they did. So, you know, the Leafs should win tomorrow night, but uh, crazier things have happened. There's just this thing about Montreal and Toronto. Like, yeah, we're such a thorn in their side. Uh, you know, as as much as like, especially with the Canadians, the Canadians, you know, whether they're in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, they always manage to just be a thorn in the side of uh, of the Maple Leafs, Maple Leaf fans. It's it's great. It's a great thing. As a Montreal and Saturday night, Saturday night hockey night in Canada. I mean, you're talking about Bill Zill and Harvey Penard and those guys earlier. Like, how pumped up are they going to be Saturday night hockey night in oh, Canada, yeah. Toronto soon? There you go. Uh, just uh, a couple more here before we uh, we end things off. Hey guys, Stu, do you think Dubois, Pierre Luc Dubois, will become a Hab through trade or free agency? I, I think there's a 50 50 chance, I would say, maybe at this point. There's got to be interest, you know. There's got to be interest. interest like, no doubt. I mean, there, there's, there's no doubt that there's, a, especially Jonathan Drouin leaving. I mean, it's important for the Canadians to have. Frank of all players on the team. We saw what happened was a lot, no, two years ago, I guess, when um, they played their first game ever without having a French Canadian on the team. Um, and remember, they, the French media went nuts here. You know, it was, it was, yeah. uh, so it, yeah, is there interest there? Sure. But I mean, you know, it takes two to tango in a trade and what would it take? But uh, I'd say, I'd say 50 50 chance that uh, he'll end up here. He's certainly a player that would fit well with the Canes, not just because he's a local guy and a French guy, but he's also the type of player that would fit in well, I think, with the style of hockey that Marty St. Louis wants to play. I'm going to take two more, and I'm going to just, uh, you know, I'm going to pick them, Sammy and Yellow. so just follow my lead for the words at the beginning of the sentence. Uh, this one's from Tony Black on Facebook. Do you think they should bring in a power play specialist? This is an interesting question because, like, I don't see the Canadians just standing pat and not making a move at all. They don't have the chips to 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 sell right now, at least at a high price. So do, can you see them, you know, saying, "Yeah, this guy is about 22 years old. You know, we got a lot of we got a lot of young prospects in the in the pool. They're not going to all be on the team. They could bring it. I don't know who that that young specialist would be, that elusive specialist that they've needed for God knows how many years, but you know, I could see a situation where it's not outside of the the realm of possibility where the Canadians are mini buyers. I would definitely, if I was Ken Hughes, I would be near the top of my priority list going into the off season. Um, there's no salary cap on coaches, right? That's mm. Canes have a lot of money. They're one of the richest teams in the NHL. So to me, it, it, that's a no brainer. Get somebody whose only focus is to work on the power play. And, and, you know, it's a guy that doesn't have to be behind the bench and probably shouldn't be behind the bench maybe, but should be talking down with the earpiece down with the guys on. But I, I would, that would be a priority for me if I was Kent Hughes because that power play has just been dreadful for so long. And, um, you know, th- I think they need to have somebody whose basically sole job or sole focus is, you know, they have a guy now who's only on analytics. They have a skills coach they brought in. They brought in a lot of other people. And I think now why not bring in a power play specialist? So last one, a uh, little bit of a typo in this question. This one's from Gordon A. Mitchie uh, on Facebook as well. Um, but I got the gist of it. Is Gooley close to coming back? He was skating a few days ago very gingerly. I'm trying to remember what the timeline was when he got hurt. I think it was like eight weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so there's a chance we'd see him back before the end of the season. But there's obviously there's absolutely no reason to rush him back. I mean, the, the way the Canes are going, there's no reason. I mean, first of all, losses help them more than wins. I was talking yeah, before. Exactly. Players don't tank, but management can tank. One one way management can tank is by holding out with their best young defenseman and telling them, you know, take the rest of the season off. Yeah. Um, but like I would be, there's this possibility he would maybe want to come back. I would think he'd, he'd want to come back to at least play one game or maybe two games before the end of the season just to go into the summer feeling better. Like, okay, my knee's at a point where I can play. And the Canes might have, I can see the Canes allowing him to do that just to, as again, like I said, just to head into the summer with a better feeling that, okay, my knee's back to the point where I can play hockey again. And it's not going to be in the back of his mind all summer. How's it going to feel the first game I play? How's it going to feel the first game I play? But uh, again, no reason whatsoever to rush him. But I wouldn't be shocked if we see him play maybe a game. Uh, final week of the season a game or two well there you go Stu. uh 
hour flew by. Uh, thank you very much for joining me on this Friday evening. Uh, not as cold as it was two weeks ago, but uh, still chilly out there. So uh, keep stay warm, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Have a good night. That was Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette. I am Matt O'Han of the Sick Podcast, and that is your Friday evening edition. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Hey, if you uh, if you don't listen live, that's no problem. Follow us on Spotify or on Apple Music. We're on all your podcast platforms. Just please, totally free, doesn't cost you anything. Just do it. It'll help us out. I make a little more money. That's the reason why I'm telling you to do it. Uh, anyways, that's our Friday show. Happy birthday, Ethan Gordon. I'll see you next week. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you. <laughs>